Praise God. Let's turn back over to 1 Kings chapter 18. We've been ministering the last uh, two times from chapter 17 about Elijah and how he got a word from God. He mixed it with faith. He spoke it and um, how that God supernaturally protected him. But that happened as a sec after he had delivered the first word. We talked about that. We talked about that God sent Elijah's provision not to where he was, but to where he was supposed to be. He sent it there. There's a place called there, and you've got to be all there before you get your provision. And we talked about that. We talked about the widow at Zarephath, how that his place called there changed, and he had to continue. He had to have a relationship with the Lord, that he continued to seek the Lord, and that the Lord had already spoken to the widow. And had already prepared her and how that she was, she had a place called there and that was out picking up sticks. If she hadn't have been doing what little she had to do, she would have missed God and she could have missed her miracle. And uh, anyway, some really, really good things. Uh, this has really ministered to me. In the 18th chapter, look in verse 1. After he had raised the widow's son from the dead... It says in verse 1, And it came to pass after many days, we find out in the New Testament, in James chapter 4 or 5 it is, that this was three and a half years later. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So here again, Elijah was just waiting upon God. This was three and a half years Boy, here's another great truth that sometimes people don't think about. But you know what? God doesn't just give you major direction every single day of your life. Now, I believe that we can be in communion with God and He can speak to you and show you things every day. But if you look up people's uh, experience in the Bible, they go years and years, sometimes decades, in between these major things that God speaks in their heart. Not everybody has that revelation. And they just expect that every time you're in prayer that you are supposed to have a major first-class encounter with God. And if God doesn't do something, then you leave kind of discouraged. Like, well, how come God didn't speak to me? And many of you are praying that you could just, in prayer time, have such an experience with God that you'd be overwhelmed and hear angels and things like this. And if God was to answer your prayer, and if you had a miraculous encounter with God, well, then it would ruin you because tomorrow you, with that kind of logic, would have to have an even greater experience with God or what happened. Am I not as good as I was? Am I not as worthy? Is God disappointed? How come He didn't show up today? And God would have to jump through a new hoop and do something bigger and better every time. And we get away from just relationship with God and I'm telling you, one of the things, if you're going to last long term, you're going to have to learn just how to hang out with God and not do anything special, but just enjoy the presence of God. In my own life, God miraculously touched my life. And of course, He's spoken to me and there's been great things happen along the way. But I can truly say March the 23rd, 1968 was a major, major deal. Then January the 28th, 2002 was a major, major encouragement. Visit of the Lord, and God has spoken things to me, and I can talk about how that those things changed my life. And in between, yes, God told us to go to this church, and God has told me and given me words to minister to people. But as far as earth-shattering things that just totally change your life, they come sometimes years in between. And you know what? One of the things that really hinders people is 
that they don't know how to just they don't I don't know what the proper word is but they don't know how to just maintain their equilibrium unless something spectacular is going on matter of fact in the 19th chapter I probably won't get to it tonight but you'll find out that this became a problem with Elijah he had had so many miraculous encounters that after he missed it big time in the 19th chapter and he asked God to kill him and to take away his life, he went and he was waiting on some kind of a miraculous supernatural thing because, I mean, he had already heard God speak to him. He had called fire down out of heaven. He had killed 850 prophets at one time and had turned an entire nation to God. And, I mean, this guy had just had a string of unbroken success and then he failed big time. And when he did, he went out and sought the Lord. And he waited on an earthquake and a wind that broke the rocks and a fire that was so intense it melted everything. And God didn't show up in any of those things. It was just a still, small voice. And most of us are looking for God in the spectacular instead of just the still, small voice. And you know, God is just, I don't know, it's His nature. It says, Jesus said, I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. Jesus could have arrived on a 747. That would have gra grabbed people's attention. He could have come to Bethlehem in a 747. He could have done things in a way that would have got everybody's attention. And yet he came in such a way that even the parents had to have faith to believe that this was God. You know, Joseph, the Lord spoke to him in a dream and told him, don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife. It wasn't something while he was awake. Have you all ever had a dream and you wonder, was that me or was that God? You know what? Joseph could have doubted this. He could have thought, I'm just thinking this. This wasn't truly God. It took faith for Joseph to believe that this was really God and that here's the first woman in the history of the world that this is a virgin birth. She hasn't been unfaithful. It took faith. Jesus, everything he did was by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When he rose from the dead, he never appeared to a single unbeliever. The only people he appeared to were people that were already believers and already believed in him, and he just appeared to them and told them. But he, all he would have had to do is just appear over Jerusalem, just hover over Jerusalem and let everybody see the one that they had seen crucified three days before, and he could have made everybody hit the ground and worship him. But God doesn't force people to do that. He wants people to respond in faith. He's meek and lowly in heart. And He doesn't do things in a spectacular way. God wants you to know Him by faith. And many of us are missing God because we just can't maintain. We have to have a dramatic something happen. God has to do something earth-shaking and touching us for us to be able to perceive Him. And we miss Him in just the simple everyday life. Boy, there's a great truth here. But... Elijah had been able to maintain his relationship with God and his intensity with God. And according to what the scripture is revealing right here, it had been three years in between words that he had gotten from God. Now, I'm sure he was having communion with God and God was speaking some things to him. But I mean, it was three years in between direction that was something that he could act on and do things. Boy, there's a great truth there. A lot of people just don't know how to maintain what God has done. And really, the, there's a lot of things involved in it. I've got a series entitled How to Stay Full of God that is about this exact same thing. It's really a tremendous uh, teaching, but the bottom line is it's just relationship with God. You've got to maintain a relationship, and you've got to get to where? Just being in the presence of God and loving God and knowing that He loves you 
is sufficient. You don't have to have something spectacular going on all of the time. You know, services like this are great. I was just praising God this afternoon. I've been so blessed. There's so many people that have told me about how their life has changed. There's people that, because of these meetings this week, you will never be the same. Your life is going to take on a totally different direction. And in the future, not only your life, but the lives of hundreds or thousands of other people are going to be affected. And you multiply that times hundreds of people. It's just awesome. And I could, by faith, could see that. And I was just thanking God. This afternoon. And you know, it's wonderful to be in something like this and to see this happen. But what do you do on Saturday? What do you do on Monday? There's a lot of people that it's just like they crash. Like, oh, I wish I was back here listening to the praise and worship. And I wish I was with all of these people that are so excited about God. And they don't know how to have their own personal relationship with God. And there's a lot of people that just cannot maintain on their own. That's a major problem. Elijah went years in between these directions from God, and yet he was still as fervent and still as excited about God as he was the first time God spoke to him. Boy, there is a great truth here. A lot of people miss it just during the everyday maintaining of your relationship with God, and you've got to get to where you can do that. So the Lord spoke to him and told him to go present himself to Ahab, and he was going to send rain on the earth. And so he came back into the nation of Israel, and he ran into this man, Obadiah, who was one of the servants of Ahab. And when he saw Obadiah, he told Obadiah, he says, you go tell your master Ahab that I'm going to appear unto him today. And Obadiah says, don't do this. You're going to put a sword in the hand of the king to kill me. And the reason he said that is because he says, there isn't a nation on the face of the earth that Ahab hasn't sought for you day and night. And he made them pledge and promise that you weren't there. And if you would have been there and he'd have found out, he'd have been at war with those people. In other words, Elijah had been the focus of Ahab for three and a half years trying to find uh, Elijah because he had spoken this word. Ahab knew exactly who it was that caused this to come to pass. And he wanted to get him and either punish him, kill him, or force him to change this situation because the drought had just about destroyed him. They said that they only had a few animals left. They had actually had to kill their animals. They were eating their animals. It was a, de a devastating situation. And so he was saying, Elijah, if, if I go tell Ahab that you're back, the Spirit of the Lord's going to catch you up and put you someplace and hide you again, and then I'll get killed for lying to the king. He says, you're going to kill me with this. And uh, he t this is very important. We'll come back to this in the 19th chapter. It may not figure in tonight. But look at what Obadiah said in verse um, 13. It says, Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel, that's Ahab's wife, the queen, slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid them a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And so this, is, this has been done, carrying on for quite a time. So Obadiah is saying that there were still a hundred prophets, a hundred preachers of the Lord that were alive, and he had been hiding them and feeding them on his own. Obadiah was a godly man. And this later comes in to be a major fact when Elijah says, I'm the only one left. Just a few days before, he had been told that there were still a hundred prophets of God hidden in a cave that were being fed. And you need to remember that because that really 
puts what Elijah said into perspective. But anyway, after Elijah heard this, he said, no, you go tell your Lord. And he said, I will appear to him today. So Obadiah went and told him. Ahab came and met Elijah. And look at this. Um, in 1 Kings 18, 17, it says, It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Because of his prophecy that there wouldn't be rain. And boy, look at Elijah. He says, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and hast, not follow, and hast followed Balaam. In other words, he wasn't going to accept this, that I'm the problem. I'm not the problem. I told you the truth. The problem is that you have rejected the truth and that you've led the nation into idolatry. Boy, this is powerful. Elijah was not about to accept any criticism, any, you know... Uh, stuff off of Abraham. He turned it right back on him. No, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. You know, you could take this and amplify it. I'll just mention this quickly. But when you witness to people, they try and do the same thing. You know, well, it's your fault and all this stuff. It's, it's these Christians that do all of this stuff. No, it's not the Christians that are a problem. It's the people that have rejected Christianity that's the problem. Thank you for both of those amens. And so in verse uh, 19, this is Elijah talking to Ahab, and he says, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab went unto all of the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Boy, this is awesome. Did you know that the last time that he and Ahab met, Ahab was the king that was killing all of the prophets of the Lord. Elijah was nobody. He hadn't been in the court of the king. All of the prophets of the Lord had been outlawed and killed. He just came from nowhere, but because he had a word from God, he stood and said, Thus saith the Lord, and I mean God's word is so powerful, it put a fear in the king and in all of the people, and nobody touched him. And here he is, three and a half years later, and he's telling this king now what to do. You go do this. Elijah had been elevated to a position that he actually had more power and more authority than the king. In a short period of time, three and a half years, and he had not been having other meetings with the king. One time he had spoken. Three and a half years later, he comes back, and here he is in charge of the nation, telling the king what to do. Get all of the people together. Get the prophets together and do what I tell you. And he says, yes, sir. And he goes out and does it. Most of us would love to have that kind of influence. Most of us would like to have that much power in our life. But we don't want to take the word of God and stand up boldly and proclaim it. We want to pray and have three and a half years of drought. And then after there's no um, risk involved, stand up and say, I prayed for that. But we don't want to stand and proclaim the word of God when it just takes faith to perceive it. And we could be criticized for it. And we're bashful and don't have our faith out there. I tell you, if we would stand up and speak the word of God, did you know what? It'll come back to bless you. We are too concerned about what people think. And Elijah, because he was bold and spoke the word, here he is three and a half years later promoted to basically running the nation, telling the king what to do. You know, that's the way that it ought to be. We're the ones with the word of God. Some people would look at this as arrogance. It's not arrogance. It's just uh, trust in the fact that God's word is more right than all of the values of men, all of the things of men. 
You know, most Christians feel like that when we stand and take a stand for the Lord and speak the word, we kind of feel like, well, what are these people going to think? They're going to think this about me. It, we, they ought to be the ones that feel weird. We shouldn't feel weird for saying that homosexuality is wrong and it destroys people's life and it's not good. We shouldn't be embarrassed. They ought to be embarrassed for doing this kind of stuff. They shouldn't be condemned. I'm not talking about condemning them, but we shouldn't be embarrassed to tell people the truth. We shouldn't be embarrassed to tell people that acting like an animal and having multiple sexual partners is wrong, that God intended for it to be one man and one woman and He doesn't want you to sleep around and live the way that people do. We shouldn't be ashamed for saying that. Other people ought to be ashamed for living like an, an unbeliever. Amen? Some of you are looking at me strange. Did you know that the world has influenced the church in many ways more than the church has influenced the world? And many of us are actually apologetic and ashamed. And you know, when I made just some of these simple statements on television, I had people call in and say, how dare you? You're speaking hate speech. That's not hate speech to tell a person the truth and to tell them that, you know, if you keep doing this, it's going to kill you. God's not mad at you. God's not killing you. But Satan will eat your lunch and pop the bag if you live like that. You give an inroad of the devil into your life. And, it's, and it's, it's love to tell a person that what you're doing is not good for you. It's not helping you. I tell you, the world, it's amazing how they've perverted all of this and made us feel like we're the problem, like we're the weird ones. We shouldn't be ashamed for loving God. Man, we ought to, other people ought to see our boldness and our confidence in the Lord, and it ought to make them convicted. And so here's Ahab obeying Elijah and doing what he told him to do. I love this. And so anyway, they got all of the prophets together. And I won't read all of this, but Elijah says, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is Baal, then serve him. And nobody said a word. And then he says, I'm challenging you. He says, let's put it to the test. Let's see who the real God is. And so he, he challenged all the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves. And he says, you get a sacrifice. And you put all of this wood there. You kill the animal and put it on there. And he says, you go first, but you can't put any fire to it. You just got to pray and pray for fire to fall out of heaven. And he says, I'll do the same thing. And the God that answers by fire, let him be the true God. In other words, let there be some supernatural manifestation. If you claim that Baal is really God, then prove it. And you know what? It says all the people said, Amen. You know, the people don't really have a problem with this. It's preachers. In our modern context, what we would do is say, Look, your claim that you've got a revelation about God and all of this stuff, let's just see. Who's got any power operating in your life? Demonstrate. Show me that God's real. You say you got faith. Show me something that your faith is working. Show me how God is doing something. Something more than, well, we prayed and the doctor had successful surgery. No, show us a miracle. Show us something supernatural. You know, Paul did this exact same thing in 1 Corinthians. They were challenging his authority, and he spent three or four chapters uh, saying, you say that some are of Cephas and some of, of Paul and all of this, and he says, 
and he was telling them about how he was their father. He's the one that introduced them to the gospel. They should submit to him. They should recognize his authority. And finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, he finally says, All right, when I come, I'll know not the speech, but the power of them who have opposed me. In other words, what he's saying is, when I come, the discussion's going to be over. If you don't have any power manifest in your life, until you get some power working in your life, just sit down and shut up. Is the way we'd say it today. You know, I have people criticize me over my beliefs, and yet I've gotten to where I use that same kind of logic. And I've told people, I said, some of you don't agree with what I teach, and you don't believe that God heals today. And I said, I've seen the supernatural power of God. I've seen my son raised from the dead, other people raised from the dead, blind eyes open, deaf ears open, until you get better results. Don't criticize me. Until you get to where you can see better things happening, you got no right to criticize me. Don't criticize the person who's doing it if you aren't doing it. There's a lot of people don't like that approach, but that's exactly what Elijah was doing. He says, I'm challenging you to a duel. We'll see who the real God is. And so they went from early in the morning until midday, and they screamed and yelled. It says that they jumped upon the sacrifice. And you know what I believe that was doing? They were calling on Baal to send fire and actually they would jump up there and offer themselves as part of the sacrifice and entice Baal with them offering their own life so that they could be killed in the thing. They were cutting themselves and doing all of these things. And see, this is really typical of religion. Religion, instead of just praying and believing God, they had to give a pound of flesh. You have to do something. You have to do something to earn and promise God this and barter and deal with God. That's not true Christianity. And so after they had done all of these things and there was nothing happening, then Elijah says, maybe you should cry a little louder. Maybe he's asleep and you got to wake him up. Maybe he's gone on a journey and you got to get his attention. I, I mean, Elijah was mocking these 850 prophets of Baal and just showing them. Uh, I mean, he was rubbing their nose in it, totally humiliating them. And then it came his time. And let me read some of this to you about uh, when he, it was his turn to call on the Lord. In verse 30, it says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. You know, you could take every one of these phrases and make applications to your personal life. I'd encourage you, I'm not going to take time to do that tonight, but I'd encourage you to go home and meditate on this because there are some powerful truths in this. God's fire, power, doesn't just fall any place. You have to prepare a place. You have to have, in a sense, an altar, something that has been dedicated to God. God is holy and God won't come upon you just, you know, as you're on your way to go out here and sin and do your own thing. That's not to say that God deals with us based on our performance, but you have to prepare your heart to be able to receive from God. And so he repaired the altar. At one time, there had been an altar to God, but under Ahab and Jezebel, they had outlawed the worship of God, and the altar of God had gone into uh, disrepair. It had fallen apart. And so he repaired the altar of God. If you want the fire of God to fall in your life and the demonstration of God's power, you have to prepare a place for God. You have to open up your heart and make a commitment of your life to God. There's reasons why some people receive the power of God and others don't. It's not accidental. It's not 
uh, hit and miss. There's reasons. And so he repaired the altar that had been broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob. Unto whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Remember, this was a time of drought and people were dying. And so water was a precious commodity. And so here he was taking something that was very valuable. Not only did it make it harder for the sacrifice to be caught on fire, but I mean, he was putting a lot of effort and money into this. And he had them do this three times. And so that the sacrifice was totally drenched, totally soaked. You know, I, I love Elijah's boldness. Most people, when they're believing God for a miracle, they think that God's power is actually in short supply. And they've got to ask, you know, just, just for enough to get by. They're afraid that they're going to overtax the power of God. I remember a man one time who came for prayer and he says, I've got pain in my neck that is just killing me. And he says, it goes down my spine. And he says, I've got this sciatica and I've got a, a neuropathy in my foot. And he just started naming all kinds of things. And I was listening to him and he says, but you know, the neck is what really hurts. And if I could just get the neck healed, I can live with the rest of it. And I looked at this guy and I said, well, I understand. I said, if we asked God to heal everything all at once, the lights in heaven might dim. I'm not sure that God's got enough power to heal all of those things. <laughs> and this guy just looked at me and he says, boy, I was kind of dumb what I said, wasn't it? And I said, it was real dumb. I said, we can get all of it healed. God's not at a short supply. But see, there's some people that, oh, God, I'm not going to bother you with a cold. I'm not going to bother you with headaches. Or if I've got a, you know, if it's not life-threatening, I can get by with this. I can live with this. It's not a big deal. And it's because people think that God is so resistant in releasing His power and that it's so hard to get God to do something that they only ask if it's absolutely necessary. They don't want to bother God. They don't understand that the Lord delights in moving in our life and delights in doing things. And God's got more than enough power to go around. And so they don't trust God for these small things. And then all of a sudden cancer hits and they've never used their faith in anything small and they aren't going to get when the cancer comes. If you can't lift five pounds, you can't lift 500 pounds. You've got to start with something small. You've got to be faithful in the small things. And most people will not trust God for little things because, again, they think that you just don't tax God with these things. I tell you, you ought to trust God for everything, everything in your life. Man, God ought to be the source of everything. And if you would be faithful and win these small battles, then when something big comes, you'd be like David and said, I know I killed the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. You'll already have a, an experience behind you that will embolden you to be able to stand in the bigger things. And so we don't know exactly everything that had gone on with Elijah, but you can see this in him that he was bold. Man, he didn't doubt that God had the power. He made it hard. He saturated, soaked the wood, soaked the animals so that, you know, it couldn't catch fire in the natural. And then look at this. After he had done all of this in verse 36, it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, there was a morning and an evening sacrifice, and for years there had not been any sacrifice. So what he was doing was returning back 
to the worship of the Lord. It was a set time. It was the time that they normally offered a sacrifice. There's a lot of significance in all of these things. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Again, if you read this and don't read it carefully... You might think that Elijah just did whatever he wanted to and then called on God and God responded to him. No, all of this was done at the command of the Lord. God gave him the plan. God told him exactly what to do. Boy, that is really significant. When you talk about power and demonstration of power, it's not a matter of you just doing whatever you want to and God just responds to your beck and call. You need to have a relationship with God and God will put things in your heart and tell you what to do. You know, I've used this example of this building and, uh, and the new project that we've got going and things, but it's not me just saying, well, I can do anything, and so here I'm going to trust God, and God's going to do whatever I want to. You've got to know that God led you in the choices that you've made, that God is the one that put these things in your heart. Elijah said, know that I have done all of these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turn their heart back again. And then in the next verse it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up all the water that was in the trench. Man, this must have been some fire. It consumed everything, the dust, everything. I mean, it was intense. And contrast this with the prophets of Baal. For eight hours or whatever, they had been cutting themselves and crying and doing all of these things. Elijah just prayed a really simple prayer. You know, I just have taught recently on uh, television about a better way to pray, and I made this point that the Lord said, don't think that you'll be heard for your much speaking. Most people think you have to spend long periods of time in prayer, and you have to travail and stay in prayer a long time. This was a very short prayer. I mean, if you read it, it only takes just, uh, I don't know, it's probably less than a minute prayer to see this awesome miracle happen. Well, we've got so many screwed up ideas through religion about how we've got to travail and do this. Man, you just pray these short prayers. Be healed. It's a good prayer. Be still. Come forth. Actually, I've heard uh, somebody say that in the Greek when Jesus said, Peace, be still. That the way that we should really translate that, if you study those words, he went, shh. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. Man, you know, the shorter your prayers, the greater the faith. Sometimes when people pray long prayers, it's because they're trying to convince themselves. They're trying to work something up. Elijah just prayed this real simple prayer, and man, the power of God fell and it says in verse um, 39, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. An entire nation was turned to God, boom, just like that, through the miraculous power of God. And you know, Jesus said this same thing. He says, You go out and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you've received, freely give. The Lord said that these signs would follow those who believe. 
They will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And it says he worked with them and confirmed the word with signs and wonders following in Mark chapter 16, verses 16 through 20. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that even the, the disciples, the apostles, that had heard the message of the Lord, that God worked with them and confirmed their messages through mighty signs and wonders. You know, it's really arrogance on our part in these days that people think that somehow or another our words are going to be so powerful that we can just say things and people fall down and acknowledge the Lord and get converted. Jesus said, the works that I do, they testify who I am. It says that God bore witness to Jesus through the mighty signs and wonders. Jesus said, I'll bear witness that your word, that your preaching is the truth through the miracles that will happen. And so Jesus and the first century apostles had to have miracles to confirm the word. And it's arrogance on our part today to think that somehow or another the world is going to respond to only preaching. We need to demonstrate the power of God. We need to show the power of God. We need to see healings take place. You know, at supper tonight we were talking about miracles and all of these things happening. And a lady came up and asked if I wanted some more water. And I said, well, right here is a miracle. Maria, uh, is it Spearhawk? Sparhawk, are you here? She was here earlier. She's probably back there working. Here's Maria. And when I first met Peter and Maria, was that in Boston? And she was in a wheelchair. And look what God's done for. We've got a guy right here that was healed of um, multiple sclerosis that has given me a testimony. We've got an inhaler down here of a woman that this morning during praise and worship, Jesus touched her and she's healed. We've seen a bunch of healings happen this, this week. We haven't been emphasizing the healing, but I mean God confirms if you're preaching the truth, people's lives get changed. Jim and uh, Samantha testified about her being healed. I tell you what, the true Word of God changes people's lives. And if we were to approach it this way today and just tell people, say, all of you that are claiming to represent God, if there isn't any supernatural manifestation of the power of God in your life, get out of the way and let somebody else preach. If we were to present it that way, did you know there's a lot of people that wouldn't be preaching today? And I know that many of you are thinking, well, now this is a little strict. This is exactly what Jesus was saying this is exactly what Mark 16 says. It's exactly what Hebrews chapter 2 says. It's exactly what Paul said. I'm not going to listen to your speech. I'm going to listen to the power. If you don't have any power, I'm not going to listen to you. It's exactly what Elijah did. And you know what? People would respond today if they saw the demonstration of the power of God. We need to demonstrate the power of God. And we need to get this same attitude. And you know what caused all of this? He says, know that I have done these things at your word. God told him these things. So has God ever told you to go out and display his power? Every one of you. Matthew chapter 10, he says, I give you power over all sickness, over all disease, over all spirits to cast them out. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel. And he says, heal the sick. He didn't say pray for the sick. There's a difference in praying for the sick and healing the sick. Don't just say, oh God, we have no power. We are nothing. We ask you to stretch forth your mighty hand. That's a chicken prayer. <laughs> you assume no responsibility and you're just throwing your prayer out there. And if they don't get healed, well, it must not be God's will. Maybe it's not his time. 
No, you need to stand there and say, in the name of Jesus, I command this sickness to leave. And you take authority and don't ask God to heal him. He gave you the power to heal. And you go out and heal. Somebody says, well, it's not my power. Well, certainly it's not. It's God's power, but it's in you. Third chapter of the book of Acts, Peter and John were going into the temple at the gate of... I mean, at the hour of prayer, and they saw the man laid at the gate of the temple, and they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they didn't just wait. They reached down and grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. And it was only after they had lifted him up and were making it come to pass that his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he went walking and leaping and praising God. Man, they sat there and commanded the power of God. Very few people do that because you know what? That's risky. If you sit there and command a healing and nothing happens, then people are going to look at you and say, well, it didn't work. But when you say, oh God, if it be thy will, for Jesus' sake, pretty please, if it pleases you, we and then you leave. And you know what? That's a safe prayer. But that's not what the Lord told you to do. He told you to go heal the sick, Cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. You've been commanded to raise the dead. Every one of you. Not just the super saints. Every one of us have been commanded to raise the dead. This isn't just for preachers. This is for every one of us. Matthew chapter 10 was for believers. We've all been given this power. And I tell you, if every one of us was out there seeing miracles happen, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have to spend all of your time praying and begging for revival. Just go out there and start healing people, and I guarantee you, you'd start seeing revival. You'd start seeing the power of God. Go out and pray for somebody who's having financial problems and see the Lord come through. And you know what? They'll go to believing and responding. Go out and talk to people who are having depression and discouragement and minister to them and tell them the truth and see them set free. Start seeing changed lives. But if you had the average pastor today, and if somebody came to them and said, man, I'm dying, the doctor says I'm going to die, would you please pray for me? They'd say, well, what, what has the doctor said? What, or what are the treatments? The average Christian minister today would send a sick person to the doctor. If they came with financial problems, the average minister would say, well, have you applied for this grant? Have you applied for unemployment? Have you done this? Uh, you know, there's this community group that will help you. If you, the average person comes to a pastor with discouragement, depression, they'd say, well, have you tried this drug? I've heard that this really works. You must have a chemical imbalance. We have advocated our responsibility, and this is the reason that as a whole, the body of Christ isn't making the impact on their world today that they should because we are telling people that all God is good for is eternity. But he, he won't heal your body. He won't set you free. He won't set you free from depression. He can't prosper you. You've got to go get a loan. You can't trust God. And so most people are just so focused on this physical life and trying to cope with all their hurts and pains, they aren't thinking about eternity. They should be, but they aren't. And Jesus used the ability to touch people's lives and to change people and to do something physical in their life. He used healing like a bell that drew people to him. It was the miracles that drew the people. It was his words that set them free, but he got their attention. He drew the crowds with signs and wonders and miracles. And you know what? We need to be demonstrating the supernatural power of God. And this is exactly what Elijah did. 
by calling fire down out of heaven. And what was the result? The entire nation fell down and said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And then look what Elijah did. It says, and Elijah said unto them, in verse 40, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. There was, there was a total of 850 prophets. Part of them were called the prophets of Baal and the other the parts of the grove, the prophets of the grove. I don't know if he killed all 850 or if he only killed 400, but that's still a lot. He killed them. Now, praise God, we live under a different covenant. We don't go out and kill everybody who's not in agreement with God. But the principle is still here. The people that were misrepresenting God and were deceiving the people and lying and manipulating the people, you know what? You need to stand against them and not give them any quarter. You need to get to where you recognize that there are certain things that are evil. You don't hate the people themselves, but you hate evil. You don't compromise with evil. And you can put this down to a very personal level. You can sit there and say that, you know what, you get to where you just hate sickness. You don't compromise with sickness. There's a lot of people that don't hate sickness. There's a lot of people that actually embrace sickness. They use hurts and pains to get attention. They use it to get sympathy. They use it to be able to take a day off of work. Never, ever, 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 ever would you have me call in and say, I'm sick, I can't come to work. I'd never do it. I'll never park in a handicapped spot. I'm not going to confess those kind of things. Man, I hate this stuff. I do not give in to this. I don't give in to coals. I don't give in to poor eyesight. I don't give in to anything. I fight this stuff like the plague. And some people think, well, you shouldn't be so fanatical. You know, I was talking to a pastor recently and he was teaching a series on healing and stuff and he knew that I taught differently than he did and he was nice enough to take me out to lunch and we talked about it and stuff. And anyway, he, he just thinks I'm uh, too strong in this area. And I said, you know, I appreciate you. I'm not upset with you. He, he's a great guy. But I said, say what you want to. I said, if you preach healing the way you preach it, you aren't going to see miraculous healings. You can say what you want to, but it's the people that are fanatical and that don't compromise and stand against a headache as strong as they stand against cancer that see miracles. And I said, if you want healings, you're going to have to be radical. If you preach a watered-down version of it, you will not see the miraculous power of God. And I know people think that I'm weird, but I think you're weird. You know what? Elijah didn't compromise. Elijah wasn't there saying, well, guys, don't feel bad about the fact that fire didn't come down and you're really okay. Would you like to come over to my side? And he wasn't trying to be politically correct and win them over. He killed them all. I'm not saying you go out and kill them all, but you need to kill the doctrines. You need to kill the the unbelief and all of the things that are coming against us. And you need to get to where you can't tolerate failure and tolerate sickness and disease. I've had some people, even this week, come to me and just list dozens of things wrong with them and present it like, I'm just so helpless, could you please help me? And I, well, what are you letting this happen in your body for? And they just look at me like, well, what do you mean? What am I letting it happen? I don't have any control over this. 
Man, I just don't even relate to this. It's your body. God said you can bridle your body with your tongue. You don't have to put up with sickness. You don't have to let something come into your life. Exercise your authority. Stand up and begin to resist things. Somebody, well, I'm getting older. And so you let sickness in. Moses was 120 years old and his eyesight wasn't dim nor his natural force abated. And he didn't have as good a covenant as what we have. If Moses could do that, I guarantee you I can do it with the Holy Spirit. You need to get an attitude that you just don't tolerate things. See, this is what a, um, Elijah was doing. Man, he was there to win. He was there not begging and pleading. God had already told him what was going to happen. He had a word from God and he was bold and he stood up and proclaimed it. I know many of you would like to see the supernatural power of God flow through you, but you're afraid to stand up and do something. You'd like to have God, you'd like to pray and have God do a miracle and then you jump up and say, that's what I was believing for when there's no risk involved. You're going to have to get rid of your chicken spirit. And you're going to have to stand up and start taking the Word of God and say something. You know what? If it doesn't work, well, who cares? I believe it does work, but I mean, you need to face your fears. And what happens if you say something and somebody doesn't get healed or something? Well, you hadn't hurt them. They aren't any worse off than they were. Somebody says, well, what happens if they don't get healed? The way you should look at it is, what happens if they do get healed? You need to go thinking about the positive side of it. You need to get out and out on a limb and go to trust in God. Amen. Elijah is a tremendous inspiration. And so he killed every one of these prophets. And then it says in verse 41, Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Hadn't rained in three and a half years. But he says, I can hear the rain coming. And he told Ahab to get into his chariot and head for home because it was going to come a gully washer. And in verse 42, it says, So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. You know, I wish I had time to preach on this. This, this would be a whole message. But some people think that he asked God seven different times. No, the Lord had already told him what was going to happen. He had done all of these things at his word. But just because God has said that by my stripes you were healed, does that mean that you have nothing to do with it, that it just automatically comes to pass? No, God has provided it. He's placed this power on the inside of you. But you through your faith release and activate the power of God. You do have to stand and believe God. And so Elijah had a word from God. He knew it was going to rain. He was saying what God had told him, but he still had a part to play in it. It was through his faith that God was releasing these things. And so he prayed and told his uh, servant to go look. And the first time he looked, nothing happened. You know, there's a lot of people that if you pray for them, and if they don't get instantly healed right then, and if they have any symptoms... They just immediately lose all of their faith and say, well, God didn't do anything. Man, I could preach on this for a long, long time. I got a lot of teaching on this. But that's not true. You need to pray and command things to happen until you see the results. And it really depends on the attitude of your heart. If you're praying and if the first time you pray, the pain doesn't leave or something, and so you say, well, it didn't work, so I think I'll pray again and maybe it'll work the second time. That's unbelief. 
You've just voided your prayer. You didn't believe that you received when you prayed. But if you believe that God moved, but you understand that just because God moves, that doesn't mean that there is an equal response in the natural realm. There is a, there is a time in between when God moves and when you see it. If I had time, I could show that to you in, in uh, Mark chapter 8, Daniel chapter 10, and other places. God moves, but it takes a period of time. Mark chapter 11, Jesus cursed the fig tree and commanded it to be dead. And instantly it was dead, but it died at the roots, and it took about 24 hours for, before what God had done to be visible in the physical realm. When you receive power from God, it may take a period of time before you see it. But you don't have to just speak and then wait and, and uh, leave it all up to God. You can control the period of time in between when you say amen and there it is. It's not all up to God. You can get in and through your faith, you can make things manifest quicker. You can take your authority. If you pray and say, well, it didn't work, so I'm going to pray again, that's unbelief. But if you pray and then you say, I know that the power of God is released. I know that I've done what God's Word says. It says, by His stripes I was healed, and I don't have to put up with this. And if you can pray again without doubting, but instead believe that, God, I know your power is released, and I refuse to put up with the devil hindering me any longer. I refuse to put up with my body hurting. Body, I command you to respond. And you can speak to your body as many times as you need to, as long as you don't think that you're doubting God. He hasn't done anything. But instead, you're just standing against your own unbelief. You're standing against the hindrance of the devil, and you're taking your authority, and you're just speaking. And that's great. That's exactly what Jesus did in Mark chapter 8. He prayed for the blind man, and he asked him, and he says, What do you see? Not to see if God had healed or not. He knew that his father was faithful, and his father had released his power. But this man was surrounded by unbelief. Bethsaida was one of the two most unbelief-filled places he had. He placed a curse on Bethsaida, and he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. But it's going to be more uh, merciful for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for you. They had rejected him, and they were full of unbelief. And that's the reason that he took this blind man by the hand and led him out of the town, was to get him away from the unbelief. But even though he got the man out of the town, he didn't get all of the town out of the man. And so he knew that this man was struggling with the unbelief that had been surrounding him. So after he prayed, he wasn't saying, Did God touch you? He knew what his father had done. He was saying, Are you having trouble receiving? Is it complete? And the man said, well, I can see man as trees walking. He wasn't complete, so Jesus prayed for him a second time. Not to cancel out his first one, like, well, God, you didn't do anything. Maybe you'll do it this time. No, he knew God was faithful, but he just spoke to that man and to this problem a second time. If the devil could withstand one dose of the Holy Ghost, he could never withstand two. So he just gave him another jolt of the power of God. And this time he could see every man clearly. You know, if you could understand this, it takes a lot more teaching than what I've done right here. But if you could understand this, then instead of just praying for a person and letting them go, and maybe they will, maybe they won't, you could pray with the person and stay with them until you see physical healing come to manifest. Thank you for that one amen. I know some of you, this is uh, a new wrinkle in your brain. 
It's like, man, I'm not sure about this. And you know, most people don't like this because it puts responsibility on us. And I honestly can't minister this way anymore because I minister to such large crowds and so many people that if I was to stay with every person until I saw them healed, I'd see one person healed tonight or two people healed tonight. And so we do pray with people and, and let you go. And if you continue to believe, you will receive. But on a one-to-one basis, did you know you can minister to a person, you can pray with them, and you can make healing manifest. I've got a tape entitled, What to Do When Your Prayers Seem Unanswered, and a book entitled, uh, You've Already Got It, that would explain that in more detail. But this is what Elijah was doing. He sent his servants seven times. And he waited, and finally on the seventh time, he said there was a cloud about the size of a man's hand. You know, when Jamie and I were on Mount Carmel, we were standing there, and they've got this uh, monument thing built to Elijah, the place where they believed all of this happened. And I stood there, and the, the others went on and were doing things, and I was just standing there trying to soak this up. And I looked out over the Mediterranean Sea, and it was a perfectly clear day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And I got to looking and thinking, boy, what was this like? And then I looked and there was just the tiniest little bit of a cloud about the size of a man's hand. It was just exactly what the scriptures described here. And I was looking at this with this. I mean, you can see a long ways on top of Mount Carmel. And I was looking at this and thinking, man, what a small breakthrough. I mean, to have clouds, I mean, to have rain, you're going to have to have a bunch of clouds. And there was just one little tiny cloud in Elijah, just that little tiny bit. That was enough. He knew that he had already got it. And he says, he told Ahab, he says, you better head for the house because it's going to rain. And Ahab had a head start, plus he had a chariot. And Elijah was so pumped after calling fire down out of heaven and killing these 400 or 850 prophets of Baal and ending the drought, he was so pumped that he outran Ahab's chariot to Jezebel, I mean to Jezreel, which was over 20 miles away. He outran a horse and chariot in a 20-mile race, giving the horses and chariot a head start. Man, he was fired up. That's pretty awesome. And you know how all of this got started? He was nobody. He didn't come from a family of prophets. He was nobody special, but he had a word from God. He acted on that word, and then God gave him the next word, and he was faithful, and he was able to be patient and let the word of God work. He didn't try and get in and make something else happen. He waited until God spoke to him, and he only did what God told him to do. And as a result, saw some of the greatest miracles, a person raised from the dead, fire fall out of heaven, a whole nation that had been in apostasy turned to the Lord. Did you know when Jesus rose from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit, there was only 120 people on the day of Pentecost, men and women, 120 people. We've got more than that sitting right here. But because these people were waiting, they had been waiting for, I don't know the exact period of time. It was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, and I don't remember exactly how long it was after Jesus was caught up, but they had been waiting for a period of time and, and looking for God. Their heart was prepared, and when the Holy Spirit came, 120 people changed the world, eventually brought down the Roman government, 
saw mighty miracles happen and did all of this. We've got more people than that sitting right here. And you know what? We've already received the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait on the Holy Spirit. We've got the power, but the problem is we just aren't as motivated. We aren't as convinced. We, we haven't mixed the Word with faith. We aren't as confident and bold and assured of things as what the first century church was. They didn't have radio and television, books, tapes, CDs, DVDs. And man, they turned the world upside down. That's what they said about Paul. They said, these men that have turned the world upside down have come here also. Brothers and sisters, it's not the fact that we don't have the equipment, that God hasn't given us something, that God hasn't poured out His Spirit. I really believe that this whole concept of, oh God, we need a revival, we're just waiting on you. In a very subtle way, it's just a deception of the devil to get us to just wait on God. He's got to do something. No, God has already done His part. He's already filled us up. We have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And the only thing that's missing is not what God is supplying. It's that we haven't taken the Word of God and mixed it with faith and been bold with it. We don't know who we are. We don't know what we have. We're all praying and asking God to give us something more. Truth is, we've already got it. And we just need to get bold with it. Boy, this inspires me. If Elijah could do this, and the Scripture says in Matthew chapter 11 that John the Baptist was the greatest of all Old Testament prophets. Matthew chapter 11, I believe it's verse 11 or 12. He was among those that have been born of women. There has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Nevertheless, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. If you feel like you are the sorriest saint in this room, you are greater than John, therefore greater than Elijah. What Elijah did is nothing compared to the power that's on the inside of you. You know, the typical person would preach a message like this and say, we just need a touch from God like Elijah had. And they would preach and talk about all that Elijah did and say, wouldn't you like to be like that now? Come forward and we're going to pray for you and we're going to pray for God to pour out His Spirit. Or they would talk about Elijah and talk about how his replacement, Elisha, asked for a double portion and he did twice as many miracles as Elijah. And they'd say, we're going to have double portion night. Come down here and we'll lay hands on you and you're going to get twice the Spirit. You know, Elisha could get twice the Spirit that Elijah had because Elijah only had it in portion. But you as a New Testament believer have the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you bodily. John chapter 1 verse 16 says, Of His fullness have all we received and grace for grace. We have Jesus living on the inside of us and it's improper for us to pray and ask God to touch us like He did Elijah. If you've been born again and filled with the Spirit, you have power that supersedes what Elijah had by a long shot. I know some of you think this is weird. It's not. You know, by the grace of God, Jamie and I have seen three people that we've ministered to raised from the dead. Elijah saw one. That right there is at least three times the power. 
I know probably 50 or 60 people that have been raised from the dead. I knew one man who raised eight people from the dead. Dean Melton, who's a friend of mine and who ministers and has made an impact on my life, has seen over a dozen people raised from the dead. You know what? We have the power of God. Every one of us. And some people think, well, you've got power that I don't have. Nope. The Bible says that every one of us have been tempered together. Every one of us, it's the power that Jesus has put on the inside of us. The only difference is some people know what they have. You can't release power that you don't believe you've got. And the body of Christ has basically been taught that through Jesus we can do all things, that God could give us power, but He hasn't given us power. And the body of Christ basically is in the mode of asking God to pour out His Spirit, praying for a touch from God, not understanding that we've already got it. And so most people believe that these things are possible, but that it hasn't happened yet. And so they're in the uh, process of asking God to do something instead of believing the power that they've already gotten, like Peter saying, such as I have, give I unto thee. We instead go and pray and say, oh God, please heal this person instead of understanding that you have the healing power of God. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19, is already on the inside of you. You don't need God to give you more power. What you need to do is find out what you've got. You can't use what you don't believe you have. And then once you find out that you've got it, you've got to believe it and you've got to get to where you believe what God says more than what your neighbor says, more than what your own mind tells you, more than what religion says. And you've got to convince yourself of it and be bold enough to stand up and, and speak. Many of you would love to see a person raised from the dead, but not many of you would like to go talk to a dead person in front of other people and see him raised. His friend I was talking about who saw eight people raised from the dead, the very first person that he saw raised from the dead was a person in the Salt Lake City airport. And he was get, catching a plane. And a man had a heart attack and fell over. And there must have been 50 people standing around him. And he went over there and he just kind of knelt down beside this guy and where nobody could hear it, he whispered and he says... In the name of Jesus, get up. And he spoke and nothing happened. And he prayed two or three times. And finally, the Lord brought to his remembrance that Jesus said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So this guy just stood up and backed up and said, In the name of Jesus, as loud as he could, come forth. And the guy just jumped up. There was a woman in Denver who listened to me on the radio. This had been 25 years ago, and I was talking about somebody being raised from the dead. And she was sitting at a, um, or no, she was getting gas at a gas station, and there was a bus stop right next to the gas station in Denver. And there were two guys sitting there uh, waiting on a bus, and as she was filling up her car, she saw one guy kind of grab his heart like this and just fall over. And she had been saying that God sent her to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. She had been praying and expecting this. And when she saw this guy fall over, she went running over there. And the first thing she did was kind of whisper in the name of Jesus. And same thing. And finally the Lord said, you know, speak with a loud voice. And so she stood up, and I mean loud enough for everybody at the gas station, all of the people that were on the streets and everything. She said, in the name of Jesus, and yelled at him. And nothing happened the first time. So she said it again and spoke. And this guy just sat up. 
And he looked at her and he says, My God, it's true. And she says, what's true? And says, my wife told me that if I ever died, I'd go straight to hell. And he said, I was falling into hell. I could feel the heat. And I cried out for mercy. And I heard your voice yelling at me. It was a long ways off. Says, I heard this voice yelling in the name of Jesus come back. And he came back into his body and he says, I need to be saved. And she prayed with him. And he got born again, and she said that this other guy that was sitting on the park bench had a cigarette in his mouth. And when this happened, he said he just went, and that cigarette fell right out of his mouth. She got to lead him to the Lord. Every one of us have that power. Every one of us would love to have the testimony about, man, I've seen somebody raised from the dead, but how many of you are willing to stand up in a funeral and command them to come back to life? We'd like the results without the effort. Amen or oh me. You need to be led by God because you know what? Not every person wants to come back. Many times people are reaping what they've sown. Their fate was sealed. And, you know, there's a lot of things involved in it. But I'm saying, I, I spoke to four people who were dead that did not come back to life before I saw the first person raised from the dead. And so there's, there's more to it than what I'm saying, but every one of us has this potential. Every one of us has this power. And one reason that I've seen more people healed than most of you is because I've spoken to a lot more people. I'm talking about speaking healing to them. And if you are going to start seeing the supernatural power of God, you're going to have to get convinced. You're going to have to have a word from God. And somebody says, that's the problem. I don't have a word. You've got thousands of them right here. <laughs> And they all say, go heal the sick, cleanse the leper. The works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. Brothers and sisters, this is not just for preachers. This is not just for the super saints. This isn't just for the clergy. This is for Joe Blow and Jane Doe Christian. This is every one of us. Verily, Jesus said, John 14, 12, Verily, verily, that means truly, truly. Everything Jesus said was truth. But when he started by saying, I'm telling you the truth, I'm telling you the truth, it's because he knew that this was going to be too big for some people to grab hold of. And so he had to clarify it by saying, Look, I'm, I know how impossible this sounds, but this is the truth. I tell you that whosoever... Let's see, how's it go? He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. I've heard people debate that the greater works are being on radio and television and doing all of this. You know, I don't believe that, but let's just forget that part. Just focus on the works that I do. Until you get the works that he's done, until you go up and see the dead raised and the blind eyes open and the deaf ears open, don't even worry about the greater works. The works that I do shall he do also. You know, I was preaching on this in Corpus Christi, Texas one time. And I mean, I made a major point of preaching on John 14, 12. And the pastor of that church, I was through on Wednesday. And on Sunday, he got up in front of his church and he says, you know, I've been meditating on this and this didn't say that you can see the works, the same works. It says if you believe, you will see the same works. And he says, I haven't been believing. 
and he apologized to his church. And he got up and preached on John 14, 12. Again, the same passage of Scripture I administered on that previous week. And he was preaching about, we will see the dead raised. We will see blind eyes open. We will see deaf ears. And he was up in front of this church proclaiming that this was going to happen. And a man stood up, grabbed his heart, fell over, and died right in front of the church. And so he, he fumbled around. There was a woman in the church that was a nurse, and she came up and checked him. There was no pulse, and she said he's gone. So they called 911, and the fire station was across the street from the church, and it took them 20 minutes to get there. <laughs> it was really unusual, but they called, and it's 20 minutes. And so this guy was laying in the center aisle, dead. And it just ruined the whole service. And he was just kind of waiting on the EMTs to get there. And all of a sudden it dawned on him, I'm preaching that we're going to see the dead ray. And so he says, you know, this is what we're talking about. Let's pray for him right now. And he just stood there in front of the church and commanded this guy to come back to life. And he just sat up. And he was perfectly well. And then the emergency people came and got him and took him to the hospital and checked him out. And there was nothing wrong with him. He was fine. There, nothing had happened. And uh, he had to take a taxi to get back to the church. And he was so mad at the pastor, he made the pastor pay the taxi driver because he says, I didn't want to go there. You're the one that sent me there. <laughs> you know, just this week, I had a friend of mine call... I, I told you about Nikki Oshinsky and her uh, her mother, Chris Oshinsky, told me that at their church in Louisville with uh, uh, Rich, Rich Van Winkle that they had a guy die in their church just a few weeks ago. And uh, he passed out at first, and so they took him into a back room. They had a guest speaker, and, and the pastor, Rich, went and prayed over him, and he revived and came back. But then in a few minutes, he passed out again. And this time, they lost a pulse. And they couldn't find any pulse. And he turned pale and he uh, started growing cold. So they called 911. But Rich kept praying over him. And uh, anyway, the guy was totally healed and was sitting up and everything was fine. Took him to the hospital. Doctors couldn't find a thing wrong with him. And he had to take a taxi back to the church, <laughs> get his car. These, these are things that just happen. It's not that rare. I know most of us live so much in the world that this sounds like that this is weird. But this is normal Christianity. It's not that big of a deal. Man, we've seen a bunch of people raised from the dead through our phone lines. We had one woman in this school that her and her husband had been a missionary, I think to Columbia or I'm not sure where it was, but anyway, South America someplace. And her husband ran off with another woman and had been shacking up with her. And this woman was believing for the uh, uh, relationship with this other woman to fail. And she was standing and believing God for it. And anyway, her husband got married again. And once you marry, according to Deuteronomy 24, you don't ever go back to that person. That's an abomination. That ends it. So anyway, she had been standing and believing that this wouldn't happen. And it happened. And the day that her husband remarried, she came in to answer phones and she was so hurt and crying and feeling like God I failed and it didn't work and she felt terrible and the very first call somebody called and their husband had died and they asked her to pray for him and so here's this woman who was suffering and under you know fighting off all of this she prayed a prayer of faith and saw that woman's husband raised from the dead over the phones amen
Isn't that awesome? Brothers and sisters, every one of us has this potential. What happened with Elijah is not, he did not have an anointing that you don't have. You have an anointing that he didn't have. You now have the indwelling presence of God. Every one of us, the works that Jesus did, shall we do also. You have that potential. This isn't reserved for the super saints. You know, I met with Oral Roberts last summer. And one, my question for him was, what is the difference between a gift of healing and the gift of faith and just praying a prayer of faith over a person? That's what I asked him. And he says, you know, I've often wondered about that. He says, I don't think I have an answer. And he says, I don't think I ever had a gift of healing. I was just praying a prayer of faith like anybody can do. That nearly bowled me over. The reason I was asking him is because I just assumed he had a gift of healing. And he may have, but here's my point. He didn't know exactly what he had. He says, I wasn't doing anything special. I was just doing what God told me to do. He had a word from God acting on it. And look what Oral Roberts did and how he brought healing to the forefront in all of these things. Oral Roberts was just a really humble guy, a real plain guy. He says, I didn't start out to make a big impact. He says, I just did what God told me to do. God is speaking to every one of you. He's given every one of us a word through this, but He's also given us rhema words where He speaks directly to you. And if you would just be bold and start doing it, I guarantee you every one of us, every one of us could display so much power in our life that people could look at you and say, I know that there's a God. I know God's real. There's some people sitting in this room, if you were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict you. You know what? We need to be demonstrating the power of God. We need to be manifesting it so that there is no doubt. And I tell you, God wants it more than you do. All you got to do is open up your heart and seek it. If you don't pursue this, it won't happen. It doesn't happen naturally. It's natural for you to be normal like all of the unbelievers. It's abnormal for a person to start living like a Christian. But that's what God birthed us for. This is what His will for us is. And if we'll pursue it, God wants it in your life. And if you'll seek, you'll find. Amen? Isn't that good? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to share about, after all of these wonderful things, the 19th chapter, Elijah crashed and burned. You would think that, man, if you saw fire come down out of heaven, and if you saw the rain end, and if you did all of this, that, oh, you'd, you'd just pass on unto another level. There is no such thing. I thought the first time I ever saw a person raised from the dead, I thought if I ever got strong enough in my faith to see that happen, that I'd never have to eat or sleep again, or I'd never, you know, be possessed by just mere mortal things. And that night after I saw this man raised from the dead, I went home and I was actually fighting depression because I thought it was going to be special. I thought I was going to be better than this. I thought I'd move to the next level. And you know what? I was still the same. <laughs> it really disappointed me. Praise God. So we'll deal with that tomorrow.
Father, we love you and we thank you for these truths. Thank you that all of these things that were written are written for our admonition so that we through them could learn. Father, I pray that you would take the things that you did in Elijah's life and let us know that, Father, what we have is greater than what Elijah had. That the works that Jesus did, we can do also an even greater work. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would burn this truth into our hearts so that we won't be content with being just like everybody else. That, Father, we'll want to come up higher. That we'll want to manifest this power. That we will want to demonstrate your anointing to other people. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit just burns this into our heart and into our conscience so that we will not be able to forget it. That, Father, we will become dissatisfied with being normal. And we'll want to live supernaturally. Father, I thank you, and I believe that your Holy Spirit is doing that here tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, we agree and we receive it. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now to confirm your word with signs and wonders following. Father, we believe that you want us well and that this isn't something that's passed away, but we thank you that you are here present to heal tonight, to set the captives free. Father, we just agree and we receive this now in the mighty name of Jesus. You know, if you need a healing in your body, I want you to stand right where you are. And we're going to release the power of God and we're going to see people set free and healed. If you need a healing in your body, I want you to stand right where you are and we're going to release this power. Thank you, Jesus. And here's the way we're going to do it. Rather than me ministering to every one of you, I want you, if you're seated, to see somebody who's standing and go lay hands on them. And I'm going to lead in prayer. And as I pray, I believe God will call out some special things. But I want you to lay hands on them. And we're all going to release this power that's on the inside of us. And we believe that this anointing and power is going to flow into these people. And that people are being healed right now. Father, we agree and we just thank you that by your stripes we have already been healed. And so we receive this healing now in Jesus' name. Father, we loose your power with our words. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. We speak death to sickness and disease. Cancers, we command you to die right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Growths, tumors, we command you to die and quit growing. Father, we loose your life now to flow through their body and rid them of these cancers and tumors. Father, to repair the damage that these things have done unto their body. Satan, we break your power. We command demons to let people go now. Sicknesses to come off in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, here's demons fleeing this place right now. Here's demons leaving people and letting them go. The sickness is gone. The root of it is gone. There's some of you in here that have been speaking to things and you see improvement, but then it comes back on you and you couldn't understand why. It's because it wasn't just physical or natural. It was demonic. And that spirit would move back 
as you spoke, but then it would just come back. Now the source of that sickness and these problems are gone. And your body's recovering and it's going to stay recovered now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Somebody here's had a, a bowel problem, an intestinal problem. Here's the healing power of Jesus right now touching you and healing that scar tissue is healed now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise God. God is setting you free right now. Father, we agree and we receive this miracle. Thank you for touching these lives. Command hearts to be healed now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Somebody's had an irregular heartbeat. Here's the healing power of Jesus touching you. Heart, you come normal now. We command you to be steady, faithful now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we loose that power and believe that you heal his heart. Here's ears being opened up. There's people here that have partial hearing loss. And here's the healing power of Jesus flowing through you. We command ringing to stop in the ears. We command volume to come back. Somebody's been completely deaf in one ear. Here's the healing power of Jesus. Healing that ear. We command deafness to go now in Jesus' name. And hearing to come back into that ear. There's the healing power of God right now. You just start thanking God. Take some faith and believe that this has happened. Don't wait until you feel it or hear something. Believe right now. Here's the healing power of God that has touched you. Father, we agree and we receive this. Somebody's hand was crushed. You had something fall on your hand and your hand was damaged by this. Here's the healing power of God. Right now, you can begin to move that hand without the pain and the discomfort. You're getting your movement back right now in the name of Jesus. Begin to move your hand and here's the anointing of Jesus flowing through you and every bit of pain, discomfort's gone. Father, we agree and we receive that. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here has had a pain right between your eyes. Right in between your eyes. I don't know what caused that, but here's the healing power of God. Pain, you leave right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we loose your anointing and thank you for that. Somebody here has been infertile. You haven't been able to have children. This could be a man or a woman, whatever the problem is. Here's the healing power of God touching you right now. There's the anointing of God touching your body. And in the name of Jesus, you are going to be free and able to have children. Father, we agree and we receive that. Thank you for this healing power. Here's a bunch of people with feet problems that are being healed right now. I believe that pain and discomfort in your feet Bunions, corns are gone in the name of Jesus. The itch is gone in Jesus' name. Neuropathy, pain is gone in Jesus' name. Father, we loose your anointing. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody's had a fear that you've got something. You haven't had it diagnosed, but you've had a fear that you've got some kind of severe sickness in you. You don't even know what it is, but you've been operating in fear. Here's a word from God that that is not true. You are healed. It's over. Right now, we command all of these symptoms to leave your body and to be gone. There's a number of people in here that have started having symptoms, signs of arthritis. 
And right now, in the name of Jesus, we command arthritis to leave. We command the joints to be free, the swelling to be gone. All pain leave right now. If you'll begin to move around, you can do what you didn't feel like doing, and there's no pain. It's not a coincidence. That's the healing power of Jesus flowing right now and setting you free. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive this. And many other things that I haven't called out. Father, I believe that your power is flowing and that every sickness and every disease has been covered by the Lord Jesus. We command all of it to go. We command sugar diabetes to leave people's lives now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Allergies to go in Jesus' name. Sinus problems to go. We command all sickness and disease to get out of our body. Father, we thank you that our eyesight is not dim, nor our natural force abated. I thank you for strength coming in into people. Thank you for touching people's eyes right now and eyesight coming clear. Thank you, Jesus, for your strength and power flowing through this. Thank you for renewing our youth. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we release your power and your anointing. We believe that right now, by your stripes, we were healed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. These same things apply to all of you watching over the Internet. I know that there's hundreds watching, and the power of God has healed many of you. You may have some of these things that I've called out. You don't have to be physically present here. I believe that God is ministering to you. There's some of you that are going to watch this in the future, weeks or months in advance, and you're going to be healed when you see this. It doesn't have to be at this exact moment. I believe that God is healing people. Father, we agree and we receive it. We thank you. Now I want you to begin to thank God and praise Him as if you believe that you are already healed, as if it's already done, already manifest. Father, thank you that by your stripes we were healed. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, I don't think I have time for every person here that was healed to give a testimony, but let me just ask that if you've already felt the difference, that's not to say that if you haven't felt something that God didn't move. It might be like that fig tree, and it may take a period of time before you see it. But if you've already had your ears opened up or the pain leave, or if you had a tumor shrink, or if you can tell something has already happened, I want you to raise your hand so that I can see who you are. Boy, look at this. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Man, that's at least, that's at least 50 people. Might be more than that. And if you take into account all the people watching by the internet and things, you know, that's a, that's a lot of people. And the, re and the good news for all the rest of you is that God's not a respecter of persons. God didn't just heal some people and not heal others. Sometimes it takes a period of time. Again, you can shorten that, but I hadn't got time to do that with every one of you. And if you'll just stand and believe, it'll come to pass in a very short period of time if you doubt not. 
And I believe that every single one of you has already been healed. Amen? Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, let me ask again. I know that we have some people that are new that probably were here tonight that haven't been here. And if you don't know Jesus personally, or if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't explain all of this tonight, but there is an encounter with the Holy Spirit that is separate from being born again. And I can base that on in the New Testament, the disciples believed on Jesus, they were born again, but Jesus told them, don't tell anybody, don't do anything until you receive power from on high. There was a separate experience from salvation. And then in Acts chapter 2 is where the Holy Spirit came. And when He came, they began to speak with other tongues. If you don't have this gift of speaking in tongues, you need to receive that. And some people think, well, man, they don't preach that in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. <laughs> but it's the truth. And it works. Somebody says, do you believe you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? No, you can actually get there quicker if you don't have the Holy Spirit because you won't have power to be able to overcome. You'll die of something premature. But it is available. Is there anybody here tonight who'd say, I don't have that and I'd like to receive? If that's you, I would like you to raise your hand and we can pray with you and you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody? Somebody over here. Praise God. Isn't that great? Anybody else? Anyone else? Here's another one. Here's some more over here. You know, last night we had, I don't know, maybe a dozen people, 10 or 12 people that received, and every one of them received and started speaking in tongues. And I talked to some of them today, and they said, man, it had just changed their life. They already could tell the difference. You know, if you raised your hand, or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come down here? And we'd like to pray with you and help you to receive. Thank you, Jesus. Just come right down here. Praise God. Thanks. God bless you. Hi. Just come right down here. Praise the Lord. Good. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Are all of you born again? Do you know for sure that you've already been born again and that Jesus lives in your heart? You sure of that? Not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. And there's so many people that just don't understand. Well, if you're already born again, then the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what God created you for. In your spirit, you were created for the Holy Spirit to come live on the inside of you. So that's what Jesus made you for. He wouldn't ever refuse to give you the Holy Spirit. He wants this. So we aren't going to beg and plead. Some people teach that you have to plead with God. Jesus just said in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All you got to do is ask and believe. So we're just going to pray a real simple prayer. And then I'd like some Bible college students to come up here and lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit would be given. So we're going to pray then they're going to lay hands on you and release the power of God into you. And then I want you to quit asking and just take a step of faith and believe that God did what He said He'd do and start thanking Him for giving you the Holy Spirit. And so we can start in English 
and just start thanking Him. But the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you are giving thanks well. So after we pray for you, after they lay hands on you, and after you start thanking God, then I want all of us that have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues to just quietly pray in tongues so that you won't feel self-conscious about everybody listening to you. And as we start worshiping the Lord and thanking God in, in tongues, I want you to join in with us and switch from thanking Him in English to thanking Him in tongues and start praising Him. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to say. I hadn't got time to explain it, but I've got a book that I'll give you that will explain all of this. And it's the same as when I talked tonight. I believe that God spoke through me, but He didn't take my mouth and make it talk. I spoke. It was me talking. That's the reason it came out with my personality and my sense of humor. But the Holy Spirit inspired it. And it's the same when you pray in tongues. You pray in tongues. Acts 2.4 says, They spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you pray in tongues. He inspires you. You speak by faith and He inspires it. And so you have to speak. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what the person behind you is saying, but it'll come out different because you can't talk in somebody else's tongue. You can't say what they're saying, but it'll get you to talking. And once you start talking, don't quit. Amen. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to start thanking God. We'll start worshiping God in tongues. And then you join in with us. And I'll give you a book that will explain this. And I tell you what, it's going to change your life. I believe you all are going to be stronger than horseradish. It's going to make a big difference in your life. Isn't that good? And then you'll start seeing these miracles that we talked about. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do is to glorify Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you for all of these. They're already born again. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we just thank you that this is what you created them for so that you could fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. So right now, we open up the doors of our temple. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into our life. We welcome you and your power and this gift of speaking in tongues and all of the other gifts of the Holy Spirit we open up our life and say, come into our life now in Jesus' name. We lay hands on you now and we release this power and this anointing of the Holy Spirit to flow into every one of these lives right now in Jesus' name. Father, we just thank you that your power and your anointing is flowing in their life right now. Burn up all of the dross. Fill us with your power. We receive it. Now, let's begin to start thanking God. I want you to lift your hands like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you say, I yield. I want you to lift your hands and bless the Lord and just start thanking Him. Quit asking now and start thanking Him. Father, thank You that I have the Holy Spirit. Thank You that Your Word is true, that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And from this time forth, I have Your supernatural power flowing in my life. Thank You, Jesus. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's worship the Lord and speak in tongues. And as we speak in tongues, you just switch from thanking Him in English to thanking Him in tongues. Don't worry about what it sounds like. You aren't talking in the words of men. It's the words that God gives. When a baby starts talking, it doesn't sound like a real language. But the parent knows what that child is trying to say. Your Heavenly Father understands your baby talk in tongues. 
And as you continue to do it, you'll find out it just flows out of you. Now speak. Just continue to speak right now. Man, every one of these, again, is speaking in tongues. I'd recognize the Holy Ghost anywhere. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your power. Thank you, Father, for these being filled with your power. Thank you, Father, that they're never going to be the same. It's not going to be just them anymore, but it's going to be the power of God through your Holy Spirit living in them. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Praise God. Awesome. Awesome. You know, we've got a book that we want to give every one of you. Where's the book? All right, do you want to uh, take them into a room? If you would, I'd like you to follow our student right here, and he's going to give you this book, and please read the book, because what's happened to you tonight is important. It's more important than what you realize, I can promise you that. And you need to understand, and so that you can go on and develop and get the full benefit of this, so they'll give you the book, and also if you have any questions, there'll be somebody there just to answer it. If you don't, you can take the book and come right back, but we want to give every one of you a free book and help you to get the full benefit out of this. Is that good? Amen. Just follow him. It'll only take a moment. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Praise the Lord. You got it. Now you can. You were speaking in tongues tonight. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? You know, if you've had your heart open, you should have been able to receive from God tonight. We've seen God minister to our bodies, minister to our hearts, and praise God. Hopefully we've been stirred up to believe that we need to walk in the fullness of God. Amen. None of us are manifesting God as fully as we should. We all need to continually be pursuing it and releasing the power of God. And I believe that God stirred you up so that you won't sink to the bottom. Amen. Praise God. Well, we'll be back in the morning. I guess they may still have some things out here. Do they have any things out here to fellowship? Anybody know? Nope, we don't have anything. Leave. Go home. We'll be back in the morning. They got a continental breakfast in the morning. You're dismissed. God bless you.